Right, if you've got your Bible with you, I invite you to find Romans 12 and Luke 19. We're going to use both texts today. So yes, we are dipping back into the Gospel of Luke um, just a little bit. This is, uh, this is the Zacchaeus passage. So if you're just joining us, just popping in for the first time, big picture, we're going through the Gospel of Luke. We're taking like two years to go through the Gospel of Luke. We're halfway through. We haven't gotten to Luke 19 yet. When we get to this part of Luke, we'll probably skip it because we're covering it here. Okay? Is that fair enough? Romans 12 and Luke 19. We've been taking a few Sundays here at the beginning of 2023 to just focus on the gospel. Five weeks just to focus on the gospel at the outset of the year with the hope that the gospel will become integrated to our lives for the whole year, integrated more and more. That the gospel will become more and more a part of who we are at the core. And you know what? I think that might be happening for me. There's evidence, there's recent evidence that it might be happening. Anybody out there still doing the wordle? Okay. All right. I'm still doing the wordle, all right? A little, probably embarrassing to admit because I think it's, it's passe now. I was doing the wordle one day this week, and I subconsciously... I, I started typing in the word gospel at the very beginning, the very first one, without thinking that was the word that I chose. Now, gospel has six letters. It doesn't work. The word is five, okay? And I always start with the same word, but I found myself, I was typing the word gospel, all right? That's what we're talking about. That's a silly example, but it's in my subconscious, all right? That's, that's what we want to start happening that the gospel is just part of who we are. It just comes out when we're not expecting it to. That's what we're hoping happens. And so we've talked about what the gospel is, know the gospel. We did that a few weeks ago. That was January 15th. If you missed that one, you can go back and watch that online where we covered the, the specifics, the doctrines related to the gospel. Last Sunday, we talked about loving the gospel embracing it with our whole lives. And today, um, the key word is live. We're talking about living the gospel. We're asking the question, when the gospel gets into the fabric of our lives, what will our lives look like? What will we do? And for whom will we do it? What happens when the gospel gets into the very fabric of our lives? So here's what we're going to do. We're going to start in Romans 12. We're going to read a passage where Paul is telling us what kinds of things Christians are to be doing. And then we're going to hop over to Luke 19, the, uh, the account of Jesus and Zacchaeus together, and see that those things that we read about in Romans 12, those instructions, we're going to see them actually played out in real time. We're going to see those very things happening in that encounter. And we're going to take Romans 12 and Luke 19, and we're going to lay them over the top of each other, 
and say, what do these have in common? What are the strands that we can pull from both? What are the things they have in common that we can identify? And those are what I'm going to call the gospel graces. We'll be able to identify these three themes in both, both of those texts and take those as the key ideas of what our lives should look like when we are living out the gospel, okay? It's very simple. I'll just state them right up front. The gospel graces, proximity, hospitality, and generosity. Proximity, hospitality, and generosity, okay? So as we read these texts, we're gonna read um, Romans 12, we're gonna read from Romans 12, Luke 19. See if you can identify as we read through there where you see those three ideas come out. Proximity, hospitality, and generosity. And then we'll just take each one of them in turn and see what we can pull from the scriptures um, about each of these ideas, okay? All right, we'll start in Romans 12. We'll, we'll begin in verse nine. And following that, we'll move to Luke 19 and read um, that wonderful story about Zacchaeus, all right? If you're able to stand, I invite you to do that in honor of God and his word. And uh, first we'll read from Paul. Romans 12, beginning in verse nine. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Luke 19, beginning in verse 1. He, that's Jesus, entered Jericho and was passing through. And there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small of stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. Uh, he has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, 
since he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. Amen. I want to take a moment, and we're going to offer a prayer before we get into the sermon. Um, We're going to offer to the Lord a collective lament for the things that have been set before our eyes this week. Um, The story of Tyree Nichols and and what has happened in Memphis has impacted our family in a deep way. My wife is from Memphis. Many of you know that. Her folks have lived there for the past, um, I don't know, 40, 50 years. It's impacted you in different ways depending on um, where you are and what your occupation is and what your history is. And the scriptures are full of collective and individual lament over the suffering and pain and injustice that people see and a crying out to God to have mercy. And so we're gonna, we're gonna join the human race and the people of God in doing that together, all right? Would you pray with me? Father, we begin with lament because our souls are so grieved and honestly, God, Father, just troubled. Troubled by the, by the death um, of an image bearer, Tyree Nichols, and as members of the human race, with these scenes before our eyes, we, we lament the fallenness of our nature, the suffering, the injustice, the pain, the death that we see around us, and particularly in, in this death. We pray for Tyree's family, whose grieving is so public. We pray for the city of Memphis. We Pray for the former officers and their families, Father, the, the, the darkness of what they must feel. We, we know that your grace can and does reach the depths of human need and, and darkness, and these must just be souls suffering under the weight of what has happened. And we, we pray for all involved, that you would cover the city and all participants with your mercy we turn our eyes to you, Father. We, we lament what we see, and we pray for the coming of the righteous one, Jesus, to bring in his kingdom of peace in this world, that we could live in the world of shalom and wholeness that we were created to live in. Let us um, be your people that walk humbly with you and others this week, as we may have opportunities to talk about these things. Uh, Let us be prayerful, and let us uh, love mercy. We pray for those in this fellowship, um, our own fellowship here at Perry Hill, that are walking a difficult road right now, that have their own reason to cry out, Lord, have mercy. We pray for your strengthening, and even that you would give your joy. To those as they feel your presence with them. We love you. Help us as we look into these things because we really do want to be gospel people, Father, to show off the wonders of Jesus Christ. We pray in his holy name. Amen. All right, please be seated. The first gospel grace is proximity. You know what that means, right? Proximity, the idea of being with, the idea of being near. The idea, in this case, of being near people. We're talking about what our lives will look like 
when the gospel gets into the fabric of our lives. And the first idea is this idea of being with people, in close proximity to people. Did you see how that idea came out in Romans 12? Rejoice with those who rejoice. That's a proximity idea. Weep with those who weep. That's a proximity idea. Do not be haughty. We could translate that, do not be arrogant. But associate with the lowly. So just to recap, we have rejoice with, weep with, associate with. The gospel assumes a nearness to people. Regardless of that other person's status or activity or beliefs or their friendliness toward you and regardless of what other religious people think about your association with other people. We see all these things collide in real time in Luke 19. Jesus goes to the tree. He desires greater proximity to Zacchaeus. He wants to be near him. He wants to be really near him. He wants to stay at his house. And so he calls him down from the tree. Think about how Jesus enters Jericho. Think about how he enters the city and what's on his mind. He doesn't enter the city looking for the, the best kind of person to associate with. He's not, he doesn't come into the city looking for the most acceptable people to be around. He really searched out the least acceptable person for him to be around. That was what was on his mind and what was going through the, going on in his eyes as he was looking out at those people. He searched out the most hated person of all, a chief tax collector, someone who's working on behalf of Rome and getting rich off of his own countrymen. When the gospel gets into our lives, it, it changes how we see people and to whom we want to come near. Changes the way that we look at a room when we enter a room. For Jesus, it changed the way that he entered a town and what he was on the lookout for. For us, it changes the way we enter a room and who we're on the lookout for. Changes our priorities in association. Jesus names his priority in association. He tells us what his priority is and who he wants to get near to. It's in verse 10, the very last verse of the Zacchaeus account. He just flat out names his priority. The Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. That's who he's looking for. That's who he wants to come near to. The Pharisees are asking a different question. They're, they're not named here, but they're the ones who are grumbling. They're asking a different question. They're asking, who's holy? Who's acceptable for me to be around? That's who I want to be near, the acceptable person. So when Jesus wants to come near the unacceptable Zacchaeus, they start grumbling. They want to hold him to the same standard. They want him to use the same standard that they have. 
Whereas Jesus is operating on a a completely different level, completely different priorities. This is what a gospel-driven life looks like. We begin to more and more base our associations on who needs the gospel. Who do you want to come closer to this year? Who are you going to prioritize time with this year? How are you going to prioritize that time? Is it going to be a, a gospel rubric that you use? Who in your life needs the gospel? Who are you being intentional with to draw closer to? Who are you gaining proximity towards? One question that I get asked pretty frequently as a pastor is, um, is this one. You know, someone will come to me and say, I've been invited to a wedding, and um, maybe it's a family member, maybe it's a friend, and the, the next thing they'll say is, I don't agree with the kind of match that's being made at this wedding. The, the kind of match that's being celebrated at this wedding goes against the convictions that I hold for marriage. And so the question is, what do I do? I've been invited. Well, do I go or do I not go? I'm afraid that if I go, I'll feel like and be considered to be supporting something that well, I don't really support. It goes against my convictions. But on the other hand, if I don't go, then I'm, I run the risk of ruining the relationship with these people that I love. That's going to put me in hot water with this group of people. And if I make this decision, I'm going to be in hot water with this group of people. So what am I supposed to do? And you, I know, I know that some of you, and maybe several, have, have had that come up in your, in your lives, and, and many more of you will have that happen over the next few years. And that's a really tough question and a really tough spot to be in, and I would not presume to know exactly what's right for you in your situation. I do believe that either response could be defensible, acceptable, good, depending on your situation. But having said that, I do tend to favor the decision that will bring you and keep you in closer proximity to people that need the gospel. I do think that all, all things being equal, I, I tend to favor the decision that will keep you in proximity to people who need the gospel. I favor proximity over distance. Even a proximity that can be called into question by other religious people. That happens here. Religious minds are calling into question a proximity decision that Jesus makes. He's eating with an unacceptable person, celebrating at a forbidden table. One thing that we can observe in this account of Jesus and Zacchaeus that I I just think is fascinating is that Jesus is not 
recorded as saying anything before Zacchaeus makes this great confession. The impression we're left with is that they sit, they come into the house together and sit down at the table, and then all of a sudden Zacchaeus just stands up and makes this great pronouncement. Jesus hasn't preached a sermon yet. He just stands up with no words from Jesus. I give half my money to the poor if I've defrauded anybody. There's, there's been no sermon. There's been no gospel presentation. Zacchaeus just stands up and, and there it is. And I'm sure that Jesus did say something to him. We just don't have it recorded. I'm sure that there, there was lively conversation about who is this Jesus and what is your mission and why are you here and what should I do? And none of that is here, but I think there's something we can still take from it. That an argument from silence is not a, a good argument, but I think one thing we can take from that, that we have no words from Jesus until verse 10, is just simply understanding the power of proximity. And what Jesus communicated to Zacchaeus by the very fact that he wanted to be with him. The holy simply present with the unholy. That communicates something. Zacchaeus, you have value. I want to be near you. You are worthy of my time. That's what you communicate to a person when you want to be in closer proximity to them. What else do you want to communicate to a person? What, what more meaningful thing could you communicate to another person than you are worthy of my time? I want to be closer to you and not further away. Proximity is not the gospel. It's not a substitute for the gospel, but it will be present where the gospel is present. That's true of all these these three ideas we're looking at. They are simply ideas and things that will be present in your life when the gospel is there. So the first one is proximity. The next one is hospitality. That's the next thread that we can pick up in common here. Hospitality, we see that spelled out specifically in Romans 12, verse 13, seek to show hospitality. And then in Luke 19, we have a demonstration of hospitality. We read that Zacchaeus, verse 6, received him joyfully. The main idea of proximity is association with, okay? Association with, we're coming nearer, being associated with someone. The main idea of hospitality is eating with. That's... That's, that's intimacy. That's coming way, way closer. That's not just associating with. That's, that's identifying with. That, that idea in the ancient world was definitely present. When you ate with someone, when you shared a table, you were identifying with that person. That's why the Pharisees were so upset about this. It was like Jesus claiming to be a religious leader was identifying with a sinner. That was his whole ministry, wasn't it? Christ identified with sinners, and here it is in the text. He's eating with him. He wanted to share that very intimate experience with this person they regarded as a great sinner. So what's the, what's the take-home with hospitality? Is it just, hey, everybody, Prairie Hill, start having more people over to dinner? That's the plan. Kindness. 
kind of. But before we take that simplistic of a view, think through this list of gospel graces with me one more time, okay? Proximity, hospitality, generosity. Notice how there is nothing explicitly Christian about any of those things. Proximity, hospitality, generosity. We do not have a monopoly on those ideas. You don't have to be a Christian to be practicing these things well. In fact, we might be lagging. I don't know. Maybe we are. Maybe we lag behind others in all of those things. All we're saying is you don't have to be a Christian to excel in the things we're talking about this morning. They're not uniquely Christian. Listen, what is uniquely Christian is who benefits from our proximity, hospitality, and generosity. That's the uniquely Christian thing. Anybody will be very willing to do these three things for people that agree with them and that are like them and share all their values and all their beliefs, very much the same. Lots of people are willing to do that, to come into closer proximity with people that it's easy to love. The uniquely Christian thing is that we practice these things towards people who we don't agree with, who might even be antagonistic to the faith, who could be counted as enemies. That's the radical, unique component to who we are and what we do, is that our proximity and hospitality and generosity even extends to enemies. That's the Romans 12 idea. If your enemy, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him a drink. So are we saying open up the home for, for the purpose of hospitality? Yes. Are we saying have people over for dinner? Yes. But we're going after gospel hospitality, the use of these ministries for the seeking and the saving of the lost. Seeking and saving of the lost by means of sharing a meal. That's what we see happen in Luke 19. So I want you to, I want to invite you to think about the people in your life right now that you know need Jesus. Think about what it would look like to show them hospitality. I love it that, that Phil and Cindy were here this morning and shared those pictures. Did you notice almost every picture there was this huge spread of food on the table? <laughs> it's a universal thing. <clears throat> if you're a student, you may think, okay, I'm, I'm a student, I don't own a home, how can I really show hospitality? I've got to get my parents to agree that we can have so-and-so. No, you don't have to do that, right? There are ways you can show hospitality as a student. Can you walk, walk someplace and buy something for someone? That's hospitality. Can you seek someone out? Go and seek someone out in the cafeteria or the lounge to eat with them? Can you do that? That's hospitality. Seeking them out to share a meal. Maybe you don't have a home right now. Invite someone out to dinner. Invite someone out for coffee. Maybe you do have a home. If you do have a home, how are you stewarding your home? 
Are you using your dinner table for Jesus' sake? You know, we could spend a lot, a lot, a lot of time and a lot, a lot, a lot of money at meetings and brainstorming sessions thinking, okay, how are we going to do outreach as a church? What's going to be the plan? We can spend tons of time, tons of money thinking about outreach. We can do bounce houses. We can do carnivals. And we can do 5K races. And we can do car shows. And I've seen all those things done. And we do some of those things. And all these ideas, how are we going to reach the lost? What kind of outreach thing? And what's the next thing? And what's going to work? And what's not going to work? And all along, the best thing and the simplest thing, the outreach plan is your dinner table. That's it. It's the most effective. It's the best. And we will never come up with anything better than that. It's in the scriptures. That's the plan. What's the outreach plan at your church? Outreach plan is the dinner table. We all have one of those. Yeah, we're going to do other things. We're going to do things collectively. And it's good to do collective outreach as a church. But your ministry, your outreach ministry, we are the church. Your outreach tool is your dinner table. Are you using it? It's always got to be our primary outreach ministry. It's not a Prairie Hill distinctive. That's a Christian distinctive. That's a church distinctive. The Son of Man, okay, understand, this is being said about Jesus. The Son of Man came eating and drinking. A friend of tax collectors and sinners. That's Jesus. Eating and drinking, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. And may it be said of us all. Paul writes, seek to show hospitality. Find ways to get involved in the lives of your neighbors. I'm going, to, I'm going to send you a link to this book this week. There's a, a wonderful book. It's by a couple of guys. Their last names are Ford and Briscoe. The book is called Next Door As It Is in Heaven. And uh, I'll, I'll, send the, I'll send you out a link this week so you can get it. It's also the book that is recommended for study by our community groups during the next uh, season of study. Next Door As It Is in Heaven. Wonderful book to help you start making inroads into um, Relationships in your own neighborhood. And this is a big component of it, practicing hospitality. Hospitality is not the gospel. It's not a substitute for the gospel, but it will be present where the gospel is present. All right? Okay, that's two. Proximity, hospitality. The third, generosity, right? This idea of the gospel-believing person being generous is present in both passages. Romans 12, Luke 19. We see that in Romans 12. <clears throat> Excuse me, we'll just click, click through them real quick. Paul urges us to contribute to the needs of the saints. That's verse 13. It's generosity toward um, fellow believers. But there's also the idea here of generosity to those who are not believers. In the, the verses we've already mentioned, how we are giving to the enemy who is hungry, how we are giving to the enemy who is thirsty. It's a, it's a broad generosity. And then we see something similar in Luke 19, these great 
gestures of generosity by Zacchaeus of giving away half of his goods to the poor, repaying four times over anyone that he's defrauded. It's really important just at this point to note that his generosity is not the means by which he is saved. He's not saved because he's willing to do these great gestures for the poor. They're rather a, a sign that his faith is real. What would cause a person to give all these things away other than a a real living faith in Jesus? Jesus has become his treasure. All this other stuff now he can hold very loosely because Jesus has become his treasure that quickly. And that's the idea that we want to get into the fabric of our lives. Jesus is our treasure. All these other things I can hold very loosely. And what a demonstration that Jesus is my treasure when I can be so generous with what I have. can't take any of this stuff for money with us when we die. We don't want to anyway. We want Jesus and we want other people to have him too. Okay, so now think with me. How can you be generous to the people in your life that need Jesus? What will that look like for you? And don't forget that there are other ways to be generous besides giving money. We can be generous with our time. Time is more precious than money. We can be generous with our words. We can be generous with how we use our status or use our power. We can use whatever position we have to elevate others and give opportunities to others. There are all kinds of ways to be generous with our lives. And I just never fail to be amazed at how much of himself Jesus gave. His whole life was one great generosity. All that time healing. All that time teaching. Not only the crowds, but his disciples. And just walking them through, being so patient with them. constant travel, no place to lay his head, and then culminating by standing in the place of the sinners, taking on himself the the scourging and the crown of thorns and the death that we deserved. His whole life was a great generosity. He just poured out his life. And if, if we would follow him, if we would indeed be a Christian and say, I'm following Jesus. We have to fight this notion of a privatized life where my life is just for me. That's so hard. I battle that so much. Just thinking that this is my life, my time. I can't give any more. That's a life, but that's not the Christian life. The Christian life is brief retreats to get ready for extended giving. Brief retreats for the purpose of extended giving. That's the kind of generosity that we see in Jesus and also in Zacchaeus, this new Christian who's just now given everything away. It's how we know that the gospel has taken hold of his life. It's the first sign of gospel presence in his life, just this explosion of generosity. That's the idea 
that we want to integrate into our lives as gospel people, that what I have is for you, whether it's time, money, talent, resources, whatever, it's, it's yours. So there they are, okay? Been talking about what will my life look like when the gospel really gets a hold of me, becomes a fabric, part of the fabric of my life. It's proximity and hospitality and generosity. Very few, oh, nothing of what I've said today is, is going to last in your memory. But I think there's a chance that those three words might, if you can just take those three words with you and maybe try to remember them tomorrow and then maybe the next day. That, okay, I want to live the gospel. What does that mean? Well, there's these three identifiable strands. If we match up the scriptures, consistent themes, that proximity to sinners and hospitality toward the one who's far off and generosity for all. That, yeah, that really is what it looks like to live out the gospel. Why should it be that way? Why are those the three things? Like, why is it those three? What's so important about these three? It's because fundamentally, Christianity is incarnational. That God has gained proximity toward us by means of the Son taking a body, coming towards us. Proximity, it's something God did for us. Not only that, but God inviting us into relationship because fundamentally, Christianity is relational. I want to be closer to you. I want to have the, the intimacy of hospitality. We've been brought to the table of Jesus Christ. See, that's something God has done for us. And, of course, generosity underlies it all. Fundamentally, Christianity is generous and gracious because God has unloaded this treasure of riches on us. We who deserve wrath, and he just unloads this huge pile of blessing. So generous. That's why those three things are so important because they picture what God has done for us. And so we go and do likewise. All right? I think you got it. I think we know it now intellectually. Now let's get it ingrained and Lord, Lord help us to just get going and make those things the themes of our lives, okay? Father, we do ask for your help with these things. Um, we are so privatized in our lives. And we have even been through a two or three year period where we've just been alone a lot, a lot more than usual. And our faculties may just be dull to being around people. Just haven't done it that much recently. And there's apathy and there's laziness all these things conspire to make us not these three things. And we just admit that to you up front. But we would be different. We appeal to the unimaginable power of the Holy Spirit and the transformation that comes through giving ourselves to the gospel message. So we pray that you would be pleased to accomplish these things here in your time and by your power. In Jesus' name, amen.